read and hear more about important news, events, and public policy debates at ncnewsline.com. This is News and Views. Welcome to News and Views. I'm your host, Rob Schofield. Well, another election year is upon us, and in just over a month, early voting will commence in the North Carolina primary election. So what are voters thinking? Are North Carolina Republicans seriously considering any other presidential candidate besides Donald Trump? What can we expect if November brings us a Trump-Biden rematch? Is a gubernatorial contest between Attorney General Josh Stein and Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson a foregone conclusion? Earlier this week, I got some pretty definitive answers to all these questions, as well as some insights as to why voter unrest seems to remain so high at a time during which the economy is humming along, when I sat down with one of the country's best and most accurate pollsters, the director of Raleigh-based public policy polling, Tom Jensen. Well, Tom Jensen, welcome back to News and Views. Good to have you back with us. Great to be with you, Rob. It's hard to believe the North Carolina primary, we're going to have early voting starting in just a little over a month. Some important races there. But before I get into that, I wonder if you had any thoughts on, it's sometimes referred to as the vibe session. This fact that right now, really, by historical standards, U.S. economy going pretty good. We have very low unemployment. Wages have been rising. Inflation has been tamed. And yet it seems that people are not happy. There seems to be a, a great sense of discord and unease in the country. And I think maybe that's reflected in some of the races that you've pulled. But I wonder if you've thought about that or gotten any hints from voters about why they're so upset. Yeah, I definitely think the country is just in a bad mood. And I think that really sort of started, especially with COVID. And even as COVID has retreated a little bit from the picture, that hasn't changed. And a few things that I think have, with the vibes, made things so bad for President Biden. One thing is you're absolutely right that all those metrics that you're talking about are really good. But for instance, right now you have a huge amount of his party unhappy with him about the situation in the Middle East. So that's something that a year ago you probably wouldn't have even had on your radar screen as something that might impact Joe Biden's political standing heading into his reelect. And then all of a sudden you have young voters who are one of the key Democratic constituencies really sour on Biden and Democrats because of an issue that is really pretty much beyond the control of the Democratic Party in the United States. So that sort of shows how even with a lot of things going really well for Biden and the country, sort of the goalposts can just change and things that you wouldn't have even expected to be in the picture become a problem. And then the other thing with a lot of that positive economic data is that people sort of view everything going on with the economy through a partisan lens now in a way that maybe they didn't in the past. So even though a lot of things are better right now, people who don't like Joe Biden to begin with aren't going to give him any credit for it. I think a big difference for Biden heading into this year compared to Trump heading into 2020 is you just don't have that unified sort of party base behind you. And then obviously you have the same problem that presidents in this country have been facing in a while where for a while where it's impossible to get anybody on the other side of the fence to respect anything you do, no matter how well it's going. It still seems sort of remarkable, the notion that, let's say, young progressives would abandon Joe Biden in favor of Donald Trump, or I guess maybe they just sit things out. But it seems rather remarkable that that might conceivably be the case. You know, we're obviously a long way away from the general election, so things can change again, I suppose. But that strikes me as a rather remarkable concept. Uh, However you feel about things that are going on in the Middle East and the intractable problems there, it seems like a remarkable outcome. Well, if we'd been chatting at the end of September, I would have told you that Joe Biden was in really good shape for re-election, that he was up by 
three or four points in all the states that he needed to win to win re-election. And when you think about it, that's great perspective that you said about the timing. That was just three and a half months ago that I would have been telling you that Biden was a clear favorite for re-election. And we have 10 months to go. So certainly the way things are today is not necessarily the way things are going to be in November. Is there any indication at all that Donald Trump can be denied the Republican nomination short of, I guess, criminal conviction or two? From what I see from the polling you've released recently, that seems pretty far-fetched that any of the other Republican challengers can mount a really even credible challenge to him. No, our most recent North Carolina poll had Donald Trump at 66 percent of Republican primary voters with Nikki Haley at 12 percent and Ron DeSantis at 9 percent. And even though Trump's always been up by a lot in North Carolina, we haven't been necessarily polling it every week. But I think this is about the most he's ever been up by. It's actually great for Trump if Nikki Haley emerges as his primary competitor because she simply doesn't have that many Republicans who like her. She appeals to a very sort of narrow, specific base of the Republican electorate that's enough to get her to second place, but she doesn't have the sort of broad-based popularity that would make her a true threat to Trump. And one thing that was really interesting on that North Carolina poll, so much gets made of Trump does well with the less educated Republican voters. Haley does better with the more well-educated Republican voters. What we found on this poll was that, yes, among Republican voters with a high school education, Donald Trump led Nikki Haley 81 to 2. But he had a double-digit lead even with Republicans who have a postgraduate degree. I mean, it certainly was a lot tighter than 81 to 2, but he really does just have a lock on pretty much every segment of the party. And every time we've seen him get indicted over the course of the last year, his numbers have gotten better, at least with the Republican primary electorate. Is there any of the other contenders that are even have any broader a base than Haley? The only path to Trump not winning, and it's an extremely narrow one, is just if something happens in Iowa and or New Hampshire where voters are so much more engaged than they are in states like North Carolina that come later along. If somebody like Nikki Haley pulls off a big upset in New Hampshire, I think that puts people in a position where they sort of give her a second look. But I still have a hard time imagining it doing much to turn a 66 to 12 advantage for Trump into North in North Carolina into something much more competitive. We're talking with Tom Jensen. He's the director of public policy polling, uh, one of the most accurate pollsters over the decades in the United States. Speaking of massive leads, Tom, same thing here in the Republican primary for governor, right? We see Mark Robinson of, in some ways sort of a Trump-like figure with, at this point, truly massive lead there as well. We have multi-candidate fields on both the Democratic and Republican sides for governor, but neither of them are looking particularly competitive. Mark Robinson has a 40-point lead in the Republican race over his nearest competitor, Bill Graham. And then in the Democratic race, Attorney General Josh Stein has over a 50-point lead over his nearest competitor, uh, former Supreme Court Justice Mike Morgan. So it seems with less than two months to the primary, like we have a pretty good idea what our matchup's going to be for governor in the general election. And I trust it's still early when we want to talk about the Stein versus Robinson come November of 2024, lots of possible variables at this point. The baseline election result in North Carolina is for Republicans to win 51 to 49. That's pretty much how our races end up breaking down. And every now and then, Democrats will do a few points better. And every now and then, 
Republicans will do a few points better. And then you have specific races where a Democrat might do four or five points better than the tie. That happened for Roy Cooper in both 2016 and 2020, where even though Democrats were usually losing by two or three points statewide, he was able to outrun that enough by a difference in candidate quality in his race to win. Same thing with Josh Stein in both of his races in 2016 and 2020. I think we're in that same general sort of situation, at least 10 months out from the general election, where Republicans probably are going to win your meeting race by two or three points in North Carolina. And then our big question for the future of the state is, is Josh Stein a better enough candidate than Mark Robinson that that turns that R plus three baseline into something that he can win by one or two points? And then that same sort of question in things like the attorney general's race and the lieutenant governor's race, just because Republicans have that general advantage doesn't mean they're going to win all the key races. But what it does mean is that for Democrats to win things like the governor's race, they're going to have to have voters in the state thinking that Josh Stein is a better candidate for governor than Mark Robinson to overcome that sort of general tilt. And I think there's some good precedent for Democrats on that front. In the 2022 midterms in Michigan and Pennsylvania, it was actually kind of a similar dynamic where you had sort of a mainstream establishment Democrat running against a Republican in those races who was from a very far right wing of the Republican Party, which I think most people would agree is the case with Mark Robinson. And in those states that are certainly among what we think of as the closest states in the country, the Democratic candidates for governor won by double digits. They overcame their states usually being ultimate swing states and actually won by a very wide margin because voters in those states decided that the Republican candidates were just too extreme, especially for an office like governor's. One thing to send somebody who's really extreme to the Senate where they're one vote among 100 and it's even some, you know, people will say, well, Mark Robinson did really well in the 2020 lieutenant governor's race. Running for governor is a completely different ball game from running for lieutenant governor. So I think those are some good precedents for Democrats that voters can decide that a Republican candidate is just too extreme, too unqualified. They'll have to hope that that overcomes the general Republican edge in the state. Presume that if, if with this sort of 51, 49, 50-50 split that we've seen for years in North Carolina holds. That's because of the way our districts are gerrymandered in the legislature, our congressional districts. Republicans will remain solidly in control there unless there's some sort of complete meltdown on their side of the ILS. And The unfortunate reality with both the legislative lines and the congressional lines is that the winners of 95, maybe more like 98% of those races are determined just by the district lines. And, you know, I was talking to somebody last month who was like, well, Democrats should have a pretty good chance to get back control of the U.S. House. And the biggest sort of counter argument to that possibility comes simply from the district lines in North Carolina. Just from the maps in North Carolina, Democrats are losing three seats, possibly four, from what they already have. And that makes it very hard to pick up enough seats in other places around the country to make up for that. So that is something that shows how North Carolina redistricting really plays a role in the national picture, that the very first argument you would make for why it's going to be really hard for Democrats to get that control of the U.S. House, even looking at all 50 states, is simply just what happened with these new district lines for North Carolina's U.S. House races. As we come to the end of our time with Tom Jensen of Public Policy Polling, 
wanted to switch over from races to issues. I wonder, you know, we've seen, of course, how abortion rights have done so well on, in states where they actually have ballot initiatives on that issue. Democrats are obviously placing a, a lot of hope in the fact that it will mobilize uh, supporters of reproductive freedom to come out and vote. Any likelihood that that's going to be a successful strategy or something that's worth pursuing on their part? Abortion rights certainly have been a very potent issue for Democrats over the last couple of years. Democrats did a lot better, at least nationally, in the midterms than you would usually expect them to do. And in the various elections that were held across the country in 2023, Democrats really did very well in a way that's sort of at odds with all this negative polling talk that you hear about Democrats. And uh, abortion was a key part of not just letting Democrats do something like win control of both chambers of the uh, Virginia legislature, but also getting a Democratic governor reelected in a state like Kentucky that voted for Donald Trump by 26 points in his last election. And I think where the abortion rights issue is particularly important is it just fits into a wider frame that if you put Republicans in charge of things, they'll act in too extreme of a manner. Uh, and I think that's a very important message for Democrats to get across. And when you combine that with things like the January 6th insurrection and in North Carolina at the state level, there's any number of things to choose from that Republicans have sort of gone too far in extending their power, exercising their power. So I do think that abortion rights are one of the easiest to understand issues for voters and sort of this general narrative that Democrats are going to need to be able to employ this year that yeah, you might not love Joe Biden, but he and Democrats being in control is a lot better than the alternative and what you're going to see happen if you put Republicans totally in charge of things across the country. Well, one thing we know for sure, it's going to be a fascinating year. We know you'll be there right along uh, with it to keep track of it and keep us informed on what's likely to happen. We sure do appreciate your fine work. Look forward to talking to you again probably in the spring. Okay. Thanks, Rob. Coming up next, a special two-part conversation with a North Carolina lawmaker who recently returned from a fact-finding trip to China. Don't go away. 